Find a fresh take on a fall getaway to Wilmington, North Carolina and beaches. Enjoy hiking trails in a state park, fresh seafood with a sight of live music and fall festivals galore. Then live it up along the Riverwalk in Wilmington's historic downtown. With three island beaches, Carolina, Curie and Wrightsville and a vibrant downtown, you get the best of the Carolina coast all in one place. Plan your fall getaway at WilmingtonandBeachesVacation.com. Fox News Podcast presents Brett Baer's All-Star Panel. America's got to be in the lead if you want to deal with these threats. We're going to lead. The morning is over. The shiva is done. And if you're a conservative, you should be optimistic. You know, my main priority right now is making sure that it delivers for the American people. We have to make our country great again, and I will do that. I think the president gets criticized by people all the time for the stuff he says, by people who ignore what he does. Now, Fox's chief political anchor, Brett Baer. As Title 42, the Trump-era policy that allowed the United States to expel migrants during the COVID-19 pandemic is set to expire, lawmakers on both sides of the aisle have expressed concerns about skyrocketing immigration, illegal immigration. United States Secretary of Homeland Security Alejandro Mayorkas held a press conference from the border in Brownsville, Texas last week, sharing the message that the border is secure again. We are building pathways at the same time At the same time, we will deliver consequences for individuals who arrive at our southern border irregularly. That is our commitment and our obligation as a way of cutting the smugglers out. And with the clock ticking on reaching a solution to the debt limit, the debt ceiling, President Biden is set to meet with Speaker of the House Kevin McCarthy and other top congressional leaders at the White House to see if they can strike a deal. For a conversation on this and more, we bring in our panel. Fox News contributor, co-host of The Five, former congressman from Tennessee, Harold Ford Jr. Fox News contributor, AEI fellow and former chief speechwriter for President George W. Bush, Mark Thiessen, and Politico congressional reporter, Olivia Beavers. You know, Olivia, on Capitol Hill, is there this sense that there's nothing really that can be done to stop this train wreck that is border policy. It seems like the numbers keep increasing down there with the thought that by Thursday, it may be a big flow, a surge. Red, I think, you know, both sides are preparing for this moment in in kind of an interesting way. I mean, Republicans, I would expect them to be taking any sort of, you know, surge statistic. If there's higher crossings, if there are images expect them to be using that in their messaging to go after the Biden administration and Democrats saying, you claimed you were prepared, but clearly you were not. Now, the Biden administration has been trying to temper expectations and say we are expecting surges. But the question is, how long will it take them to get get this under control? And will they be able to um, do it in a quick way before a humanitarian crisis kicks in? Um, you have a bill in the Senate from Senator Tillis and Senator Sinema who are trying to basically keep without the the COVID-19, um, you know, underpinnings, the same thing as Title 42, where they would be able to expel them quickly at the border. But it doesn't seem like there's going to be an appetite to get that passed with some of the Democrats at the moment. Um, we'll see if they'll be able to to get support for that. But at the moment, both sides are trying to prepare and brace for what's going to happen this week. Mark, what do you think? 
Well, I mean, if you think about it, over the last three years, Title 42, they've expelled 2.6 million times immigrants, uh, illegal migrants using the uh, Title 42. So if you remove Title 42, uh, that, that's, that, that was with, with Title 242 in place. It's going to be even more <laughs> when when Title 32 is gone. We're already Bill Malusian has already reported a huge surge of the border: 55,000 border patrol apprehensions, 18,600 gotaways in a single week. And so, you know, this is this is an absolute disaster. And they've had they've had a long time to prepare for it, and they obviously haven't done so. Um, and so, the, you know, the president, he, he, the, the Secretary Mayorkas was saying, "Well, we need Congress to fix our immigration system." Joe Biden has the same laws in place that Bar that Donald Trump and Barack Obama had in place. And we got to keep in mind, he didn't just wipe away Donald Trump's border policies, which were very successful in securing the border. He wiped away Barack Obama's. He, he you know, Barack Obama was reviled by the left as the deporter in chief because he deported three million people. Biden has stopped, practically stopped deportations. Uh, and so, you know, there's a lot of policies of the Obama administration that he's reversed. Uh, so the laws are there. There, there's no reason to pass anything. There's no need to pass anything else. Just enforce the same laws that Trump and Obama did. What do you think, Harold? I mean, every time the administration now talks about it, they say, you know, it's Congress's deal. They should have been passing something. But but it's going to fall on the president's lap if this is really a mess. Uh, first, thanks for having me. I, I agree with Mark 100 percent and the biggest part of his statement, which is, the administration decided to go back on things that were done not only by President Trump, but I think Mark makes it a point that is often uh, not made in this conversation that uh, a lot of these things were done under the predecessor of President Trump, uh, President uh, Obama, where Vice President Biden or President Biden was in vice president. There need to be there need to be some needs to be some other things as well. Our solemn process needs to be reformed and we probably need to build a wall. But I would agree a starting point is just to go back uh, to the to, to where we were before. Two, the Democrats don't, I don't think, fully appreciate the political weight this is going to, to impose on them uh, in the next election cycle. Uh, it looks as if things, in many ways, Brett, I saw you earlier talking about the economy uh, being uh, always being a constant, uh, if not the most, the biggest constant in presidential races, uh, and for that matter, political races. But this last cycle in the midterms, we saw abortion play a big role. I think uh, everyone thinks that CRT and ESG, those acronyms are the things that are that will really populate and dominate on the Republican side. And certainly Governor DeSantis is making that a big part of what he's doing in Florida. But the border will be the issue, uh, uh, the, the issue that will, I think, can, could overtake the economy and their economic consequences to what happens at the border. And they're clearly national security consequences. I hope my party awakens to that. I think this bipartisan effort by Cinema Posa Mayorkas has, has said is not the right thing to do. I hope hope the Congress takes a, a long and hard look at that. And if President Biden is challenging them to act, they should pass that uh, and, and force the president's hand on this. And this is something that I'm not proud to say or fond to say or saying with with any with any you know political satisfaction. But if we don't address this issue as a party and more importantly as a country, uh, not only will we as a party have some hard times at the polling place this next go around, the country is going to look differently. Uh, and I can tell you, there are a bunch of people who are here legally, whom I know, whom are friends of mine, whom I work with, uh, and people I've worked with in the past, who are as angry about what's happening at the border uh, as anyone. So play by the rules, put a set of rules in place that are easy to follow, that are enforceable, uh, and let the country do that. Panel, we'll hold it right there. How do you make a vacation last? How do you hold on to the joy, the clarity, the calm? Easy. You go to Aruba. 
You'll spend your time relaxing on cool, white, sandy beaches and floating in healing blue water. You'll meet locals brimming with gratitude for an island that redefines what a paradise can be. You won't just feel great. You'll feel relaxed, renewed, and ready for life. That's the Aruba effect. Plan your trip at aruba.com. Olivia, uh, meantime, the clock is ticking on the debt ceiling discussion. The Republicans did mm-hmm. manage to pass this bill. Uh, that raises the debt ceiling limit, uh, but also has some pretty significant cuts. That is the marker, and there is a meeting at the White House with top congressional leaders. Is there a sense on the Democratic side that the president's going to actually negotiate and kind of deal on that bill to make something that Democrats could vote for on the Hill? I mean, Democrats are sticking right now, Brett, to the 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 point that they've been trying to make, uh, which is that they want to see a clean debt ceiling before they start talking about cuts. And Republicans over the weekend in the Senate, 43 of them, uh, led by Senator Mike Lee with the support of, of Senate leader McConnell and his leadership team, all said that's not going to work, basically showing that it's going to be dead on arrival in the Senate. Republicans in the House have made a similar point, too. And so basically over the weekend, both sides were digging in to their positions. Uh, but Republicans, as you pointed out, have made the first pitch. They said, OK, our here's our plan. You need to take the next step and show us what come to the table and show us your plan. At the moment, it seems like we're heading to weeks more negotiations, but the June 1st government default, like quickly approaching. Both sides are discounting also doing a short-term stopgap, which would be a short-term extension uh, to continue the negotiations. So it's really tough to see, Brett, where where they're going to be able to land on on a common ground that will, you know, raise the debt ceiling. Yeah. And Mark, it is fair to point out, as Democrats do, that these are expenditures we've already made as a country. This is, you know, payment that's out. That's not to say we don't have a significant problem in what we spend and uh, what what our country is doing with all the money, but this is already done. So uh, in past Republican Congresses uh, with a Republican president, it has happened automatically uh, without without this this fight. Now, that being said, there is also this sense that at some point we have to do something and turn the aircraft carrier of a state just a little bit. Uh, to start saving money. So what's your thought on this? Well, my thought is first, President Biden's basically dared the Republicans to put their plan on the table. He, uh, he said, you know, because he looked at Kevin McCarthy's election, his tumultuous election, and said, he's never going to be able to herd those cats. So we'll just we'll let them put their plan on the table. Well, they did. They put a plan on the table. They passed it. Now the ball is in his court. They've, had, they've passed something. It's in his and Chuck Schumer's court. They got to come with a, up with a counteroffer, this idea that they're not going to negotiate is absurd. And it, while it's true that Republican Congresses with Republican presidents have just passed it without without using this brinksmanship, it's also true that the Obama administration negotiated a deal with the Republican Congress uh, on the debt limit. So there's a there's a precedent for tying spending cuts to a debt limit increase. So there's precedent to do it. Uh, the Republicans have passed a plan. They have, the Republicans have raised the debt limit. Uh, they've passed a plan to raise the debt limit. If Biden doesn't like their plan, he he has to come up with a counter. He has to come up with some sort of uh, uh, legislation uh, or a counteroffer that can be passed that can, the Democrats and Republicans can both support and negotiate. But this position that we're just going to insist on a clip, clean uh, clean debt ceiling increase is not going to wash, and he's going to get blamed uh, because the polls already show that they, they the, the the blame is split. 
But if they go into if they go to the American people and say, well, the Republicans have raised the debt limit and they asked them for some reasonable spending cuts and Biden just said, no, nothing, uh, he's going to he's going to own it. So, Harold, I mean, it is a tough spot. We are coming to the end. There are people talking about the 14th Amendment and the president can go around the traditional raising of the debt ceiling. I think that has yet to be tested. Uh, but you've had these votes before. Um, what are your thoughts? Well, they need to come to an agreement. We, we, we have to remember, I don't, I don't disagree with really anything that's been said around this. I think the precedent uh, let let the record reflect it. Mark and I are agreeing on every issue here on this call. Common ground. Who knew? I'll be your running mate, Harold. <laughs> Look, I'll be yours. The, the, the precedent the precedent is set. They they they've gone through these processes where, and President Obama, and frankly, what you're leaving out, Mark, is that Vice President Biden, then Vice President Biden, he led the negotiations. So there is there's there's certainly precedent, and we are living in it. We're living in a time in which the debt is so large. Now, I'm encouraged that the president and the leadership in the House and Senate met, I believe, today or were scheduling me today to, to begin to talk about some of these things and perhaps move the ball down down the field here. And I hope that what what they understand more than anything, because sometimes they can be short, short, so short sighted in terms of looking at the, the, the immediate political benefit for the other, is that the real audience here, in, in my mind, is, is really a, a foreign audience, including the Chinese and the Russians. And they 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 enjoy not that they, they enjoy when we are weaker, but they they believe that chaos breeds weakness. And we look we look chaotic. We don't look organized right now as we as we and there are a number of things we don't look organized on, but this is this is one of them. And it has perhaps the most consequence of anything because if we question or call into question the full faith and credit of of our of our ability to pay our bills, um, Never before in history has it happened. Never before have we had a competitor like China with the military technology and, and economic strength, the economic strength that they have. Uh, China uh, reaching out to other parts of the world and encouraging them to deal with them, including Ukraine. This moment, we've never seen a moment like this with a competitor on the global stage with this kind of chaos within our government. So I think that the administration, as much as I think they wanted to say to Republicans, you did it for Donald Trump, and they did. But this is not a moment where that argument looks as if it's going to prevail. I think the easiest thing to do, Brett, is take back the COVID money and let that be the deal and apply that to apply that to the debt. And then Republicans who are so firm at this moment, I hope they're equally as firm when it comes to passing a budget, because that's where the issue is. As you said, Brett, we've already spent the money. So on every budget going forward, they ought to have a one sentence that says that you have to vote for the debt ceiling increase if you vote for this bill whatever the final bill is, because we spend the money in advance. And I don't think the American people appreciate that, but that's a point that can't be made right now. These the stakes are too big and too important uh, for them not to negotiate uh, an increase. And it looks as if it's going to have to be tied to some spending cuts going forward. Yeah. And just, Olivia, the, on the math, the mm -hmm. math of getting the votes, let's say they do this negotiation. Let's say that Republicans who didn't even want to sign on to the bill that passed, but did, um, say, I'm not voting for anything that takes away what we've already put down on paper, um, then they have to pass it with Democratic votes. Democrats would need cajoling by a president who's saying, OK, we're going to cut back on some uh, discretionary spending in order to get this done. And that's going to take negotiation, too. So it's all about the numbers. It's all about the numbers. And like you pointed out, I mean, some of the Republicans who the Freedom Caucus members like Ralph Norman, like Thomas Massey, I was asking them how they feel about 
you know, Kevin McCarthy negotiating with Democrats in the Senate. And they said, if we thought we would be negotiating this bill, we would have thrown in the kitchen sink. And so they want the bill that they put out and they passed in the House to be the the final say at this moment, or at least that's their negotiating tactic. Now, that doesn't mean that there won't be some moderate Democrats that, you know, if, if it was watered down, that they could pull in instead of them. But it's going to be very complicated. McCarthy has a has to keep together a very narrow majority. He can only risk losing a few if he ends up having to pull in Democrats. Uh, Mark, I want to talk about this Washington Post ABC poll that came out uh, this weekend. It's a shocker for the White House. Uh, You had George Stephanopoulos uh, saying it's brutal. You had Donna Brazil saying it is a wake-up call. On mental acuity, 94% of Republicans, 69% of independents, and even 21% of Democrats said President Biden lacks the sharpness to be president. Just 32% think Biden has the mental sharpness it takes to serve effectively as president. That's down from 51% when he was running for president three years ago. 54% think former President Trump has the needed mental sharpness. And on physical health needed to govern just 33% think Biden, age 80, has it versus 64%. For Trump. But here's the kicker is that in a head to head, former President Trump beats President Biden by seven points. Now, it's a plus or minus three and a half. So it's essentially close. But, Mark, that's the first poll that it's been separated by that much. And it goes to the electability question with a former president who's been indicted, who's facing other legal challenges and maybe other indictments, and yet is be- beating a sitting president who had one of the best midterms any sitting president has had yeah it's it's a it's a stunning poll uh it'll be interesting to see whether other polls uh uh confirm that uh because it's a little bit of an outlier in terms of the head uh but but here's the thing i mean you know if you look at just the if you go to the 538 average of polls right we're at day 838 of biden's presidency he is the single most unpopular president in the history of the country going back to Harry Truman, except for Jimmy Carter at this point in his presidency. That's 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 the hole that Biden is in. And that's not just one poll. That's a the 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 average of polls uh, at the at this point in his presidency. He's 80 years old. He's going to be he would be 86 at the end of a second term. I just went and looked at the Social Security Administration data. The average American man has a 42 percent chance of making it to age 85. So that means that we have a possibly a 58 percent chance of Kamala Harris being finishing out Joe Biden's term if he's elected again. These these are all things that are going to be uh, taken into account and, and debated during during the president during the election. And the question is for a lot is going to be for a lot of people. There's going to be a huge block of voters who disapprove of Joe Biden and disapprove of Donald Trump, and they're going to be forced to decide if if we do have this rematch, who they disapprove of more. And that's going to be a fascinating question for the for the voters to take on, because the clear, clear thing that from all the polls you see is that one thing that the American people do not want. And they're saying it clearly is we do not want a, a, a Trump Biden rematch. And it looks like they're going to get one. Harold, I mean, if you're inside that White House, 36 percent approval scares you, obviously. But you had low approvals heading into the midterms and you did very well with the issue of abortion and also running against the former president and the fight for democracy. But the one about the head to head, that's got to raise some eyebrows. No doubt. Uh, if they have, if they were not already awakened, this certainly should awaken them. The, the, the thing I find 
is as interesting as those numbers. And I'm not surprised, frankly, by the head to head with with Trump. Neither of them are at 45. Uh, I mean, that's and, and Biden is, finds himself not exciting enough of his base yet. Will that will that come to you know come to him? It probably will. However, these numbers are unsettling. I think for Biden also, the fact that both Marianne Williamson and RFK Jr. combined are polling somewhere between 23 to 30 percent or a little more than that, depending on the poll you look at, is 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 has to be unsettling to him as well. Because if you are four to 10, if we're four to eight to 10 weeks away from now and you still see those kind of numbers with RFK Jr., who I think is a, a serious guy, I don't think he's a serious candidate for president, but he clearly is polling well enough. And Marianne Williamson is distinguished and serious in her own right. But I don't consider her a serious politician. That means that someone in the party has to be thinking, um, do we run? Does, does a governor, does a sitting governor, a sitting senator decide to run? This is not something I was of the opinion of four to eight weeks ago, Brett, but because these numbers in our own party suggest, and then to hear some in the party say that President Biden refuses, will refuse to debate anyone. You, you know, that's not a, something that, the, uh, that party members should be deciding for us. I'm a Democrat. I, if voters want to see that, you know, in the presidential commission, they decide if you're able to, in the general election debate, if you're above 15 percent, there needs to be some rule in all the parties, because we as Democrats would certainly be arguing uh, that Donald Trump, if he were the president and he had an opponent that polled at a decent amount, we would say he should debate them. I'm a, I'm, I call balls and strikes, and I'm consistent in that regard. If he has to debate an RFK Jr. or Marianne Williamson, I have to think you're going to find some other Democrat saying, you know what, maybe it's time for me to think about this. For all the reasons that Mark mentioned and all the reasons that Olivia mentioned as well, you know, maybe this is a moment that we should not let pass. So if you're in that White House, you better get him out in front of the press. You better talk about uh, what he's accomplished and you better talk about what the bridge for tomorrow means if he's reelected to the White House. Yeah. Olivia, is there are there Democrats raising eyebrows on Capitol Hill? Are they scared about these numbers? I mean, obviously it is one poll, but it's still, you know, a reputable poll, ABC Washington Post. I mean, Democrats have been paying attention to Biden and his polling for very closely, especially after the midterms. There is a sort of belief among them where they can watch the polls go down or you can see them saying, yes, we want someone else to run, but we will support Biden usually at the end of the day, if there isn't a greater option. There also is, they're also looking at polling where some people are, you know, they're looking at Donald Trump and they're looking at Biden and and enough of them will say, when push comes to shove, we're going to choose Biden over Trump. That's what some of these sort of moderate independents have been saying to some of the polls. I think that they're getting some comfort from that. But at the moment, they're going to be closely tracking this as the election goes and, and continues to ramp up. And I think that they're hoping that Republican infighting will be much more of a distraction than their own parties. Mark, last word. Is there a story you think that we're not covering that's going to be a big story to come? Wow, that's a big question. You know, the, there's the one thing I always ask, you know, we, we always want to see the candidates answer is what's because if you look at the history of presidential elections, Almost every president has dealt with a crisis that was never discussed during the presidential campaign. Mm-hmm. And one of those could pop up in the, in the midst of the, uh, of the next election. Uh, you know, we could have a crisis over Taiwan. We could have a crisis uh, uh, on the Korean Peninsula, uh, depending on how the uh, Ukraine war goes. So, you know, something could happen uh, that on uh, foreign policy that could throw a wrench into this whole election campaign. And then Biden's capacity becomes a huge issue. Uh, and how he handles it. So, you know, we could have another 
crisis a la the Afghan withdrawal that could be an absolute disaster for our country and, and could roil the whole presidential election. Yeah, you're exactly right. I mean, in Don Rumsfeld's uh, confirmation hearing, Afghanistan wasn't even brought up. George, President Bush's, uh, George W. Bush's presidential campaign, no one mentioned, uh, you know, Al-Qaeda in any of the presidential debates. Presidencies can, often are defined by things that are never discussed during the presidential campaign. All right, panel, we'll leave it there. Thank you. Now for a bit of history. On May 8, 1945, President Harry S. Truman announced that Nazi forces had surrendered in Germany, proclaiming that the flags of freedom fly all over Europe. The day would become known as Victory in Europe Day, as millions around the globe celebrated the defeat of Nazis in Germany. The war would wage on in the Pacific until September 2nd of 1945, when Japanese ministers officially signed the surrender agreement ending World War II. That will do it for this week. You can hear more of this series at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. Make sure to leave a rating and a review. We want to hear from you. For Harold, Mark, and Olivia, I'm Brett Baer. We'll see you next time. Listen ad-free with a Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts and Amazon Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on the Amazon Music app.